0: You already know what time it is. Welcome back in to the NFL with AJL. Episode 57. We're live on a Tuesday night, little after 8. It could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here with me. Tapped in on the live NFL podcast. I know we've been gone for about a week and a half and ironing the schedule out. I was going to do a couple shows last week. We just had some other priorities come up if you saw me post about it on social media. But as always, I appreciate the hell out of each and every one of you jumping in. We are at 722 sub. Let's keep it climbing on YouTube. The social media engagement are always crushing it on hope y'all are geared up for christmas hope y'all are ready for these holidays hope you've had a great week so far and a great last week and a half or so since you've seen the show we had a crazy week 13 in the NFL that I hate I couldn't cover but we're going to jump right into week 14 as well a couple of college football topics also But before we get into the show please make sure to like the stream subscribe your every uh, subscribe on YouTube like and share the stream wherever you may be watching hit the bell on YouTube as well so you never miss a post on the YouTube channel whether it's a short or live posting some highlights from the show and as always the QR code there in in the corner of the screen, will give you, there we go, every bit of social media and podcast content. A little rusty on the QR code point. It's been a week and a half, y'all. Y'all forgive me. Uh, Every bit of social media and podcast content at the NFL with AJL. Hashtag the NFL with AJL. I want to see y'all in the chat and in the comments. So get down there and let me know what you're feeling about the episode. Jaden Daniels wins the Heisman. I know I'm about a week late on the college football playoff rankings, but I can't not react to that. Seems like the Eagles are crumbling. The Bills edge the Chiefs. The Lions are looking like fraud and much more on the show let me go ahead and get into these college football playoff rankings as they rankings as they are officially out michigan one washington two texas three alabama four fsu painfully at five for all the fsu fans out there and then for georgia fans like me as the number one seed losing to number eight alabama we fall to number six And, of course, the biggest thing about this here is FSU being left out of the college football playoff rankings. And I agree and disagree with this. And y'all stay with me as we get through this topic here. FSU getting left out, of course, is very unfortunate. They go undefeated. They're a Power 5 conference champion. They defy the odds with a second- and third-string quarterback beating a top-20 offense in Louisville. Of course, like I said, taking home the ACC championship. Everything that they needed to do, they covered it. They did their job. And all they had to do was get in by the college football playoff committee. I feel horrible for FSU. I feel horrible for Jordan Travis. I feel horrible for Mike Norvell. Anybody associated with Florida State University, especially if you're wrapped up in the football program, I feel for you. I know it's painful to do your job all season long and be left out, whether we've seen it in sports in the past. Of course, never like this. But when a team does what they need to do and they don't get where they need to go and they've done everything in their control, it's going to really break the hearts of people that are associated with these teams. But I think if FSU beats Louisville more than they did, you know, 16-6, to of course, was the victory there. They won by 10 points. And if Brock performed better than 55 passing yards, I believe the committee would have had a better a uh, uh, feeling or vibe about putting FSU inside these playoffs. Are they the most? Are they one of the four most deserving? Absolutely. We're going to get into best four versus most deserving towards towards the end of this year. But you got to feel for Jordan Travis saying that he wished he would have broke his leg earlier on in the year that way people could see the type of team that FSU really. Is. And that was a little different for me because I've never seen a professional athlete or, you know, soon to be professional athlete, still a professional, in my opinion, is in college. They've got NIL now. I've never seen a professional athlete say, I wish I would have got her earlier. So you guys can really see the type of team that we were. We see Mike Norville very dejected in the room as they break the college football playoff rankings and they figure out that FSU is not included in that. And again, I think if FSU comes out wins more convincingly, more than 16 to 6, their quarterback has more than 55 passing yards. I believe the committee would have been more willing to put them in. But when you look at the four teams that are in, and even if they put in the six teams, I believe FSU, even with that defense, even the way that they defied the odds, they would be the weakest team in the playoff. And I believe that's what the committee was trying to avoid. Of course, we hear that Alabama gets in because of you know the SEC money and and the rankings and the matchups and all. But realistically, we know FSU deserve to be in. And I believe if they win more convincingly to Louisville, they have a shot to get into the top four in the college football playoff. Now, of course, we see Michigan's room was absolutely deflated when they saw Alabama was getting in and not FSU. They wanted that second or that third string FSU quarterback. And I understand that because we can all sit here right now and say that Michigan is more than likely going to wipe the floor or excuse me, that Alabama is more than likely going to wipe the floor with Michigan. Alabama's just a better football team. I understand Michigan's at one, Alabama's at four. Michigan's been in the top four for a lot of the season. Alabama at certain points was lower in the rankings, of course, than they are now and what they were walking into the SEC championship. But should should Alabama have made it in? Again, Michigan one, Washington two, Texas three, Alabama four, FSU five painfully, and also painfully at six, the Georgia Bulldogs as well. I do believe that Alabama should have made it into these playoffs. They beat the back-to-back national champions. We haven't seen a back-to-back national champion in a while. They beat a team that had lost, not lost in 29 games, and the last loss they had was to the team that they lost to in the SEC championship. And I understand it was on a neutral site, but they did it in Atlanta, of course, where the SEC championship is consistently played. But to know that it kind of was a home game for Georgia, And Alabama goes in there and does what they need to do. Very convincing win, knocking off the number one team in the nation. You can't keep a team out of competing for it all when they beat the best team in the country that's been the best team in the country, at least by what the numbers say, according to the AP poll and, you know, the college football playoff rankings before we got these. You can't keep them out. They hadn't lost in 29 games. They were back-to-back national champions. They were a very dominant team. Now, yes, there were some times in the season where we saw them slip against an Auburn and against a Georgia Tech and against a, against a Mizzou and, you know, a little, little fluttering with a UAB. But Georgia was still an undefeated football team. And Alabama, as a one-loss team, as an underdog, went in and beat them. And that makes them one of the four most deserving teams. Now, were they, are they one of the four best teams in the country? Yes, I also think that as well. But Alabama did deserve to get in. Did FSU also deserve to get in? Yes. Two things can be true at the same time. Was it horrible that FSU got snubbed? Yes. But it doesn't mean that Alabama should have stayed out. And look, we had a lot of first-time scenarios. No one outside the top eight has ever made it in. No undefeated power Five conference champion was ever left out. But People seem to forget in 2014, the very first year of the college football playoffs, FSU was 13-0. They got left behind a one-loss Alabama and a one-loss Oregon team who were both 12-1, while FSU was 13-0. FSU was the only team to win and drop in these rankings here in 2023 as they win as the number four seed, drop to number five, Alabama and Texas jump up, and of course, Michigan and Washington stay in there. Now, the biggest thing people are saying is, is it the most deserving or is it the best four? Well, the committee says the selection committee's task will be to select the best team. So from there, it sounds like the best four teams, rank them for inclusion in the playoff, and then they select the other bowl games and assign those teams to sites. You know, we got the Capital One Bowl with FSU and Georgia. We've got other bowls that are being played with all these other, you know, uh, seeds that are lower than the sixth seed as well. So is it the most deserving or is it the best four? You can sit on the fence however you want to with that. I, I, I haven't really decided still, as I sit here, you know, basically a week and a half after they dropped those ranking, rankings, I haven't decided if for me personally, I would want it to be the best four teams or if I would want it to be the most deserving. But we'll break it down like this. If you ask me, the most deserving four teams in this were Bama, FSU, Michigan, and Washington. We've got three of those four teams in. Okay, that's fine. So if we're not most deserving, let's go look at best four. The best four teams, in my opinion, in the country are Georgia, Alabama, Washington, and Texas. And we're talking about the four best teams in the country. Georgia's been great all year. Alabama beat Georgia. Washington has been very solid all year, undefeated team. And Texas absolutely cleaned house in their championship game. Yes, they do beat Alabama back in week two. That's a lot of a different game. If you want to switch out Texas with maybe FSU, or if you want to throw Michigan in, that's fine. I'm not going to be on Michigan being one of the four best teams. But I also can't be on FSU being one of the four best teams as well, because again, I understand they defied the odds. You know, why win the games if you're just going to discount them? They defied the odds they go undefeated, they win the conference champion, second-string quarterback, third-string quarterback win. But are we really going to sit here honestly with ourselves and say that FSU with a second- to third-string quarterback that is not nearly the same now as they were then with a guy that came in fifth place in Heisman voting in Jordan Travis, we're really going to say that they're one of the four best teams considering where they're at right now? I'm sorry, but I cannot. I just can't do it. So is it the most deserving... Or is it the best four? Apparently, over the last decade, the College Football Playoff Committee has given us the best four teams. I think it's kind of been a mix and match of most deserving, best four. Again, if you ask me the most deserving, Bama, FSU, Michigan, Washington. Washington went undefeated, won their conference champion. Michigan undefeated, won their conference champion. Bama beats Georgia. Yes, they're a one-loss team, but you can't beat the best team in the country as number eight and not be a most deserving team. And then FSU, because of what they've done, winning in their conference championship, defying the odds but the best four teams in the country to me are Georgia Alabama Washington and Texas y'all get in the chat in the comments let me know like I said I know I'm a little late there I'm gonna be posting this um, I know those you know rankings dropped last Sunday I'll probably be dropping these like Wednesday morning but I had to cover the college football playoff rankings as I could not move past them Jaden Daniels wins the Heisman trophy and I am so so, so happy for him. The most touchdowns in the country, the most yards in the country. Yes, he might've been one in three versus his, uh, I want to make sure I have that right. Yes, he was actually one in three versus ranked teams. He lost to number eight FSU in week one. He lost to number 20 Ole Miss in week five. He won against 21, uh, number 21 Mizzou in week six, and then he lost to Alabama in week, um, I guess that's week nine. Yeah. So, You know, I understand that he is one in three in top 25 play. I understand that he's got an eight and three record. I understand that he's not in the college football playoffs. And I'm also not going to sit here and say that Jaden Daniels was the best quarterback in the country. Do I think he's a top five to seven prospect in the class in terms of quarterbacks? Yeah, absolutely. But Jaden Daniels deserved to win this. There's not been a college football player since Joe Burrow, who averaged 403 offensive yards per game with his legs and with his arm. To do this. And then Jaden Daniels comes in and averages 412 offensive yards per game, whether it's with his arm whether it's with his legs. And, you know, Jaden Daniels is absolutely special, man. Again, he deserves to win this Heisman. He reminds me of a mix of Lamar Jackson with the speed. Jalen Hurts with kind of the size, you know, 6'4", 210, a little bigger than Jalen Hurts, if I'm not mistaken. The way he can kind of swivel in the pocket, be shifty. Kyler Murray with also the shiftiness as well. And you can even see a little bit of Joe Burrow in him also, as, you know, a guy that just likes to slip through the pocket, have these nice moves, good arm, very accurate, can read the field. Someone will trade picks for Jaden Daniels to take him on their team. Someone will bring him in and look to rebuild their franchise with the quarterback in Jaden Daniels. He is special. He is very fluid. He's very shifty. Someone will come in and take this 6'4", 210-pound phenom of a quarterback at a Louisiana State University who just won the Heisman and do something special with them in their French, of course, and I'm happy for Jaden Daniels transferring over from Arizona State. We see five of the last seven Heisman winners are coming through the transport portal. This would have never been Daniels if he didn't leave Arizona State. It would have never been possible for him for starting out as a probably day three pick. Day two pick is now a bona fide day one pick. First round pick in the 2024 NFL draft. 4,946 total yards of offense, 3,812 passing, 1,134 rushing, and 50 total touchdowns. On the year, 500 and the first place votes. Then we had Michael Penix come in, Bo Nix, Marvin Harrison, and then we had Jordan Travis. And all respect to Jordan Travis, but Marvin Harrison placed ahead of him in the Heisman voting. Yeah, Marvin Harrison got 20 first place votes and Jordan Travis got eight, so it wasn't by much. But again, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Marvin Harrison, Jordan Travis were the top five. The next five were Jalen Milrow, who got four votes, Ollie Gordon the second, Cody Schrader, Blake Corm, and J.J. McCarthy. As well. Jaden Daniels was very grateful for it. He said it was a, you know, a a dream come true. He wishes that he would have been able to bring another championship back to LSU. And I firmly believe if LSU would have got that opportunity in the college football playoff, which clearly they didn't play well enough to get there. Firmly believe LSU and Jaden Daniels would have been able to bring another championship back to the state of Louisiana just like Joe Burrow did. 22 years old, right out of San Bernardino, California. He's the first player since 2016 to win the Heisman as part of a team that did not play for a conference title. Speaking of the SEC championship, of course, they're going to play Wisconsin later on in the year he led all FBS players in QBR with 95.7 yards per attempt with 11.7 in FBS record 40 passing touchdowns 70 completions of 20 or more yards 72.2% completion was 7th in the nation while his total offensive yards 412 were first 74 yards better than the next best player that was putting up numbers the way that he resonated. Even as a runner, he was topped by only 25 running backs in the entire country. I know I say only 25, but we know there's over a hundred college football teams that are, you know, thrown into these rankings, or at least when we're talking about numbers in the nation, only 25 running backs, top 10 in yards per game, his 8.4 rushing yards per attempt was good enough for fourth in FBS among all running backs. And every season that he come into college, he really, really improved on his, uh, you know, the way he's scrambling outside of the pocket and picking up yards with his feet. He tripled his rushing yards from the year of 2019. And again, I'm just very happy for Jaden Daniels, a guy that transfers out of Arizona State University, coming over to LSU in the fifth year, is able to win his Heisman, and now he's going to be able to go on. And, you know, be a top pick in this NFL draft, and he's special, very talented. He's got everything that you need in the quarterback. He really does. Whatever team takes him, whatever team has the blessing of bringing in Jaden Daniels, whether you start him in the first year or he's going to sit behind a veteran and learn, he is going to be extremely special he's the second FBS player with 40 passing touchdowns, 10 rushing scores and a thousand rushing yards in a season the only other one being Kyler Murray in 2018 he's the first player in FBS history to reach 12,000 passing yards in his career and 3,000 career rushing yards as well just wait there's one more thing Jaden Daniels is the third LSU player to win the Heisman as the third straight quarterback also to win the award and the seventh quarterback to win it in the past eight years. Got to give it up for Jaden Daniels, man. I really wanted Bo Nix to win it. I really like Michael Penix as well. I thought Caleb Williams was going to be able to have a run at it. But Jaden Daniels is your 2023 Heisman Trophy winner. And the New Orleans Saints need to do everything in their damn power to go out and draft this kid. Keep him in his backyard keep him comfortable, keep him playing in the dome. But the Saints got to fire Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael first. I don't want to ruin a rookie like that. And when you just go look at Jane and Daniel's game logs, I mean, that game against Florida after the big loss to Alabama, 42-28, he goes into Florida, wins 52-35. We know that game, 372 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 12 carries, 234 yards, 19.5 yards per carry, and also two touchdowns as well the game against Texas A&M was very big even the game against Alabama was big even though they lost and you see the game against Mizzou as well just a very 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 lethal guy at the quarterback position 50 total touchdowns almost 5,000 all-purpose yards hardly any turnovers compared to what he's putting on the field and it's just beautiful to see Jaden Daniels from LSU go out and be able to win this award now Patrick Mahomes is crying on the sidelines absolutely blasting the NFL at midfield as he shakes Josh Allen's hand as the Bills beat the Chiefs 20-17 to 17 in Arrowhead and Kadarius Toney gets called for offsides. And now we have a game in the NFL, not even now because it's been happening, but we have a very meaningful game in the NFL and the Zebra Stripes are coming in and interfering again. So it's the 11th time all year that the league has called offensive offsides. It was called a total of three times In the last two seasons, twice last year, once the year before in 2021. And the video that's coming out here, you know, is showing that Kadarius Toney hardly points to the ref, asking him for the check when he lines up on the line. And he clearly didn't look hard enough to see if the ref even responded to him. The video doesn't look like the ref does respond. And you can even see that Kadarius Toney's, like, a third of his body is lined up ahead of the back of the football. You're supposed to be behind the back end of the football in order to be considered on sides for the offense, but he's clearly lined up over the line of scrimmage. And as everybody out here wants to talk about, oh, they wait until this point to call it. Of course, they want to do it at that point when a crazy play happens. That's on Kadarius Toney. This is why Kadarius Toney got traded from the Giants. This is why I called Kadarius Toney a reach when the Giants drafted him. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from him for having the longest punt return in Super Bowl history and becoming a Super Bowl champion with the Chiefs after the trade from the Giants. That's great. But Kadarius Tony's a young receiver. He has these mental mistakes at times. He's not always present in the moment, unfortunately, and I'm not knocking Kadarius Toney, but this is exactly what happened in this game for the Chiefs to lose a big one. You go check out Dan Orlovsey on ESPN. He really had a good video showing how many times in the game it wasn't called and how Kadarius Toney was lined up all night, actually, slightly off sides. Andy Reid confirmed that Kadarius Toney never checked with the official the entire game about actually being on sides. Kadarius Toney, unfortunately, just makes mistakes like, like this, guys. It is what it is. You got Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid saying it's embarrassing for the NFL. It's the worst effing call ever. Worst effing call of all time. I will agree. It's shameful. Y'all heard me talk about it in the Super Bowl. Another big game, another shitty call. It is shameful that it wasn't called all night. It's only been called 11 times all year, but it wasn't more specifically, it wasn't called all night until the final potential game winning play. Travis Kelsey had one of the best plays, maybe in NFL history, not even maybe, had one of the best plays in NFL history. Maybe the best play of his career. It reminds me of when he just pitched it back to Shady McCoy, I think, in the first year that they won the Super Bowl. That might have been the year that they lost to the Bucs um, in the Super Bowl. But, you know, Travis Kelsey can get crafty like this. We'll always remember that play, but it won't be an official one that was pulled off when you look back in NFL history at the record books. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes also, he's really got to watch himself saying that on the hot mics in the postgame presser. The first thing you say to Josh Allen is, oh, you know, not good job. Hey, man, great game. Worst effing effing call ever. We're playing our effing asses off. You know, uh, I mean, it, it just shocked me from Mahomes. It really did. Effing ridiculous, man. I mean, he's just going off. And I understand Mahomes is a super fierce competitor. He's very, very intense. He's going to put his passion out on the field. There's a reason he won 80 of his first 100 NFL starts. There's a reason for that. No, yes, he's got the you know the the structure in Kansas City and Andy Reid, but he's a fierce competitor. He's elite. He's very good at the position. So I understand you're going to be upset when you lose. It hurts to lose, and I know he was looking to go up four to two in the last five years against Buffalo. Now the series is tied up three to three since 2020 with the Bills and the Chiefs matching up. But for that to be the first words out of your mouth because your teammate messed up, are you talking to Kadarius Tony about what happened? Are you holding Kadarius accountable in the locker room? I'm sure he's already holding him accountable for itself. But for those to be the first word out of Patrick Mahomes' mouth, it just wasn't good optics. I've never seen Mahomes act out out like this. But I think the frustrations of the season are starting to actually grow with him. And we know that the frustrations have been growing with the Kansas City Chiefs. I said it after they lost in week one to the Lions. They're going to wish that they signed DeAndre Hopkins. And what do you know DeAndre Hopkins is making plays against the Dolphins team to win within the last three minutes? You don't think Patrick Mahomes could have used that? You don't think Patrick Mahomes could have used that at any point in this season? I know you think he could have used it, and that's why the Chiefs had to make a move, and they didn't, and this is where their season's sitting at. The Chiefs have lost three of their last four games. The Chiefs are an 8-5 and five football team. I mean, where you know, what, what do you want to say with that? Where do you go with that when you look at how the Chiefs have been playing this year because of the lack of offense it's tough it's very tough. I'm trying to pull up the Chiefs record to make sure that I said that right. Yes, they're an eight and five football team. The Broncos are one place back of them in the n f c west and the nfl is going to investigate you know what mahomes said about his worst effing call ever here we go again you know you wait all night to call that game i played seven years never even seen that called. here we are talking about the refs again andy Reid said it's andy reed said it's embarrassing for the nfl i hope the nfl pursues them for it i'm not talking about fines or levying or anything but we know when you talk about the zebra stripes and the nfl they're going to come after you and mahomes already came out and said that he regrets saying that as well but you know patrick mahomes welcome to the other side of the pigskin brother Welcome to the short end of the stick. You've been getting calls since 2019, since you've been in the league. Hell, Tom Brady got a call against you in the year that you were kept out of the Super Bowl when it was the Patriots and the Rams, when the Saints should have been there as well, the year that Mahomes won the MVP. He had a call favor him in the Super Bowl. Now, he's not out there holding the defender. But Patrick Mahomes got the benefit of that call and became a two-time Super Bowl champion and a two-time Super Bowl MVP with the help of said call with under two minutes to go in the last year's Super Bowl. Welcome to the other side of the pigskin, Patrick Mahomes. This is what happens in the NFL. And you should know this. You've been in the league for seven years. You know the officiating gets worse every year. If you didn't have it come down to a one-possession football game, You wouldn't be complaining about it. You cannot in 2023 and beyond, really since, you know, 2018 and beyond. Yeah, I'm a biased Saints fan here talking about the no call. And by the way, that's the worst effing call ever. Not this offensive offsides. You should know with over the last five years, you cannot play in a football game and let it come down to the refs. You just can't because then you're going to use that as your crutch. And that is what Mahomes and Reed are trying to do here. And I love how everyone says the refs got it right. The refs right there got that call right, yes. Is it unfortunate that they didn't call it all night? Yes. Is it unfortunate that it got called in that instance? Yes. But the refs got the call right. We know what the refs are. The refs are the refs. It's just like we're in the last four weeks of the NFL season. Teams are what they are. Refs have been what they've been. And you got to move on. And you got to get past it. He said Kadarius, Tony, should have been warned. Are you kidding me? I know... You're more of a competitor than that, Mahomes. He should have been warned? Really? It's, again, his job, his fault, that he didn't clear it with the ref. The ref's not going to come to you and say, hey, buddy, get in position. Go ahead and back up, number 10 or or number 19, whatever number Candarius Tony is. He's supposed to check with the ref, and then the ref clears him. He looked at the ref, pointed, literally just pointed it and looked back. So he might have just assumed that the ref nodded his head. I don't know. But you got to hold Kadarius Toney accountable for what happened later in this game. And it's, it's not the official's job to tell him to get in position. If anything, it's Mahomes' job to say get on sides. Anyways, and we see in the Titans-Dolphins game, too, they had someone light up off sides offensively literally less than 24 hours later and it wasn't called. So we know that the officiating in the NFL is, is, is bad. And it wouldn't even be an issue if the refs were just somewhat consistent here in the league. But now let's get into the game. Enough about the call. Everyone's up in arms about it. Patrick Mahomes is dealing with the league-high 32 drops on the season from his pass catchers. 32 drops. The Chiefs are averaging 22 points per game, which is 11th best in the league. Pretty impressive if you ask me, considering how the ICS has been with them all year. They don't have a lot of weapons. They averaged 29 points per game last year. Of course, they were first in the league, first year without uh, uh, Tyreek Hill, and they still did absolutely fine. But Mahomes can't do everything with nothing. Mahomes is special. He can overcome adversity. He can overcome dysfunction. But when you simply don't have talent or playmakers that consistently come through for you, I mean, it's Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. They missed the hell out of Isaiah Pacheco. They need to make sure that Isaiah Pacheco is back soon. Mahomes can only do so much with what he's got. It's as simple as that. Took them almost 30 minutes to find the end zone on the ground in this game. They were down 14-0. Of course, the Bills jump out to a big lead. The Bills did rare back and end up winning this one 20-17 as they allow a 17-6 run to win, talking about the Buffalo Bills there. You know, in, in the Bills, or excuse me, the Chiefs even had a couple of clutch sacks on Josh Allen in the fourth quarter, but they, you know, realistically didn't do much with it. Um... <clears throat> And it was the third state time in the regular season that the Bills actually won in Arrowhead. So shout out to Buffalo. Shout out to Josh Allen, Sean McDermott. Winning in Arrowhead is not easy. And I understand Mahomes, when it comes down to the playoffs, he's the one that's made it happen. He's the one that's taken them the distance when he's needed to. He's the one, not him specifically, but he's, uh, excuse me, the Chiefs have won those meaningful playoff games when they've needed to the most. Uh, James Cook had 141 scrimmage yards and a touchdown. The Chiefs had no answer for him this entire game. The Chiefs had a game plan, thankfully and, and kind of respectfully for stopping Stephon Diggs, but Stephon Diggs really didn't do himself any favors either. A couple of passes to Stephon Diggs appeared to be unforced drops. Stefan Diggs finished with four catches, 24 yards, and 11 Targets, Kincaid, five catches, 21 yards. Dawson Knox, three catches, 36 yards. Now, the Bills' offense, of course, is definitely better when Stephon Diggs is doing his thing, breaking free, cutting people up on routes, catching passes. But Buffalo appears to kind of be developing a level of depth and kind of variety in the passing game that we haven't seen in apps in years. And I always said they need one more weapon, they need one more weapon, they need one more offensive guy out there. Well, Dawson Knox has started to emerge. Dalton Kincaid was drafted. They brought in Deontay Hardy. Gabe Davis is having a solid year and is, you know, whenever Stefan Diggs is performing on top of all that, you've already got your pieces in place. Usually it would be Stefan performs first. Then we got Knox, then we got Kincaid, then we got Hardy kind of falling in. It's the opposite now, kind of. If they're able to build this depth, maybe we're sitting here saying that, you know, the Buffalo Bills don't need to go look for another offensive weapon in the offseason, nine different Bills players caught passes in this game. And, again, Kansas City really missed Isaiah Pacheco, no doubt. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was the team's leading rusher. The team's leading rusher with 39 yards. The Chiefs had 82 rushing yards as a team in this game. He really didn't get a lot. Uh, excuse me. Mahomes didn't get a lot really outside of Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. And, again, um, You know, to me, it's Travis Kelsey uh, outside of Patrick Mahomes for offensive play. You got Travis Kelsey, probably go Pacheco, and then you would go Rasheed Rice. But with Pacheco being out, Rasheed Rice was definitely performing big time in this game. uh, Kelsey and Rasheed Rice actually combined to catch 13 of Mahomes, 25 completions. So literally half of the work went to those two, um, you know, best players that I was just mentioning there. Travis Kelsey, six catches, 63 yards. Rasheed Rice, seven catches for 72 yards. No other chief players had more than 30 yards receiving. It was literally the Mahomes, Kelsey, and Rasheed Rice rookie show. Everybody else was just trying to blend in. MVS, of course, only has about 17 uh, uh, receptions on the year. Kadarius Toney has about the same as well. Patrick Mahomes just isn't trusting these young receivers right now. Again, 32 drops on the year. That's going to make you hesitant to throw to some of these younger guys that haven't cut their teeth in the NFL yet. And knowing how Mahomes' cap hits coming up, biggest one in the league this coming year, knowing how that's gonna be. And I said it after Mahomes got signed. Like, look, Tyree Kill will go before Travis Kelsey because I believe Kelsey is more of a cornerstone than Travis or uh, um than than Tyree Kill is. And this is exactly what happened. But now Mahomes is going to have to trust these receivers more. And unless Kansas City's moving some more money around, this might be the 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 reality for Patrick Mahomes, at least for the near, the near future. Kansas City punted on three straight drives in this game after Patrick Mahomes' uh opening drive interception. No, it uh, did not produce consecutive scoring series in either half in this entire game. Buffalo jumps out to the 14-0 league. Again, they end up winning 20-17. to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs do as much as they can, but that lack of talent and the mental mistakes from Kadarius Toney have them falling to 8-5. and five. Patrick Mahomes is looking to be four and two within the last six matchup with Josh Allen. That does not happen. Shout out to the bills for winning three straight in the regular season in Arrowhead and Patrick Mahomes is just going to have to calm down and, and quit all this whining again. Welcome to the other side of the skin, my brother in Christ. The saints beat the Panthers 28 to six Panthers being the worst team in the NFL. They're now one in 12. The saints are now a six and seven football team, realistically not playing much better than the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, it's great, right? The Saints won. I'm always going to be happy about a Saints win, but you should have won. And going into the fourth quarter, it was kind of ugly. The fact that you were up 14 to six in this game going into the fourth quarter against a one in 12 team against the 28th ranked defense in the NFL in the Carolina Panthers. You struggled with them at home, just like you struggled with them earlier in the season. Now you held Bryce Young to a bad game and you won by 22 points. But the Saints did what they were supposed to do here. It's just like when they beat the Colts. It's just like when they beat the Patriots 34-0. They did what they were supposed to do. And it was pretty ugly up until the final frame of this game. Speaking of the final frame, Derek Carr had 37 passing yards going into the fourth quarter in this game. Nothing new. We know what Derek Carr is. I don't think Derek Carr should have played in this game because he was off of another injury. He was off of another concussion protocol, just like when the Vikings knocked the piss out of him with Daniil Hunter. But no, the Saints thought it was smart to play him, just like they thought it was smart to play him after he got hurt in the Green Bay game, and we lose 27-9 to the freaking Bucks at home, and we get diced up by Baker Mayfield. Derek Carr ended up finishing with over 100 yards, barely over 100 yards passing in this game. He did have a couple of nice throws um, in this game, but the one to A.T. Perry really was where most of his yards came from. It was a 44-yard gain there, but it was another average, mediocre quarterback play from Derek Carr and the Saints offense along with Pete Carmichael, and I'm just going to go out and say it. Before walking into this game, and Derek Carr's played, so they're probably not going to do it, but the Saints need to shut Derek Carr down for the season. Derek Carr's been hurt three or four times with the shoulder with concussion protocol. Now it's his ribs. You know, that, that, that came up in the latest injury report for him. Why do we keep playing Derek Carr after an injury if it's proven, even including this game where you win by 22, that he doesn't freaking play well? He looked horrible in the Bucks game. He looked horrible in the Falcons game. He looked pretty average in the Lions game up until of late. And guess what? You already gave up a 21-0 cushion, not Derek Carr, but the Saints in general and he looked pretty damn average in this game against the worst team in a bottom four defense in the damn league. Bryce Young only completed 34% of his passes, but he had more passing yards than Derek Carr. It's, it's just weird, man. Like I don't understand why Derek Carr just can't pull the trigger in just a few situations in a game. Make a couple of big throws. Read the field correctly. Stop checking down so much. Stop chucking it for 65 yards when you're mad that you've had to go underneath on a slant or an in route a few times. Showing the world that you got a big, big bad arm. When you're a quarterback like this and you play like this, you're not a Josh Allen. You're not a Patrick Mahomes. You're not Jalen Hurts. You're not Justin Herbert. You're not a Joe Burrow. Play to your strengths, which is play action. The Saints need to run more of that. I told y'all Derek Carr has a great completion percentage on play action. But I really think the Saints should shut Derek Carr down for the season. And again, they won't. $150 million investment. The earliest we can get out of him is next year. But for God's sake, at least see what you have in Jake Hayner, who you drafted this year. You spent a draft pick on a quarterback. At least see what you have in him. We know what Jameis is, so I'm not even going to say put Jameis in. Unless you just want more of an entertaining type of game, then sure, put Jameis Winston in. But I'm I'm going to stand on it. The Saints need how, need to, or they should have shut Derek Carr down. For the season, he doesn't play well off injury. He's been concussed and hurt his shoulder multiple times this year. The O-line is not doing him any favors. And I don't want the Saints to be the reason that Derek Carr's career is cut short or ended. And I don't say that in any rude way. But when I watch my quarterback get hurt three times in a year and he doesn't take a game off, it's going to make me question the coaching staff. I wouldn't care if it was Derek Carr or Daniel Jones. Why is he playing? I'm on the Jags' ass for having Trevor Lawrence throw 50 passes. And he threw three interceptions and had a high ankle sprain in the game against the Bengals where they lose. That type of stuff just irritates me. Derek Carr and Eric McCoy beefing on the field. Dennis Allen says he's glad the guy's got the balls to fight it out. Hey, I respect that. But when your players start getting into it on the field, and I'm and I'm not going to dig too much into it because, you know, we've seen Brady and his players get onto it on the field. We see Breeze and some of his players at times, at very, very small times, get into it on the field. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, these fierce competitors, these are grown men putting their lives on the line and putting their manhood out there to play this physical game of football. So I'm not going to say, oh, they're imploding because Eric McCoy and Derek Carr are, are going back and forth, but does it mean something? Yeah. It absolutely means something. I'm sure the offensive line is frustrated as hell with Derek Carr. I'm sure Derek Carr is frustrated as hell with the O-line. I'm sure the whole offense is frustrated with Pete Carroll. And the energy is just starting to flow the way that it is here. But I do think Dennis Allen kind of doesn't want to face what's happening. He's like, oh, we're making too much of it. Let's move on. And it's because of Dennis Allen's reputation as to why we feel like this about him. Because he's not a very, you know, disciplinary, standard, culture type of guy. You know, and it's it's it, it 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 means something. I will say that it definitely means something. You still got the booze raining down. It was horrible in the Lions game. The booze were still raining down in this game. You got Michael Thomas tweeting about how At Perry's open, about how the offense isn't the greatest. And when you have a guy like Michael Thomas tweeting the way that he has, and Dennis Allen says they're going to handle it in house, Michael Thomas goes and delete the tweet, deletes the Twitter. I want to know what actual type of discipline happens for Michael Thomas. Because remember when Jimmy Graham was trying to pull all that stuff after a great tight end season, we traded him. We did the same thing with Brandon Cooks. We did the same thing with Junior Gallette Because people respected Sean Payton and the authority that he had and the relationship that he had along with the front office, and people don't even bat an eye to that for Dennis Allen. I'm not going to say her like broke a record and say the obvious thing because we know Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, Mickey Loomis, the whole team needs to go tear down to the studs, Rebuild it because the Sean Payton era is not coming back. And outside of the Sean Payton era, we were jokes. We were the Aints. And I hate to say that. I still tear up when I watch the 2009 Super Bowl highlights. Make fun of me if you want. I love this team. But I'm going to keep it real with you about what we're putting on the field and the state of us right now. It's about time that the Saints and this coaching staff Realize that Jimmy Graham was signed for more than just nostalgia. They will now realize that Jimmy Graham being re-signed with the Saints this year. The fans were excited because we know what Jimmy Graham's capable of. We know he's a big red zone target who can score touchdowns when he needs to. And it took the Saints and this coaching staff Three straight losses to finally fully activate and utilize Jimmy Graham. He's got four catches for 30 yards and three touchdowns on the year. 75% of the time he catches a football, it's a touchdown. And it took the Saints 13 games to realize that. He was a healthy scratch, being inactive, not playing. And we're like, why? Why did we even sign him? him if we're not going to play him when we clear a place where we struggle we're not a good red zone team and uh, we're not a good offensive red zone team we're not and four catches three touchdowns and that's how this the saints have to realize that when you have players that can benefit you and you put them in the right schemes because he caught a touchdown in the game against the lions He caught a touchdown earlier in the year against the Packers. And what do you know? You put him in and he catches a touchdown in the game against the Panthers. It just makes the coaching staff look even worse. It's very, very questionable to see that he's a red zone threat, even though he's old. He's still a huge tight end. And that's what his game was built on. And ironically, the Saints are two and two when Jimmy Graham is active. And of the four games he's been active, three touchdowns. It's just a horrible look per per usual for the New Orleans Saints. Again, the Saints did win, but they put up 207 total yards of offense against the 28th, 28th ranked defense in terms of yards per game. Scored 14 points in the fourth quarter after only being up 14 to 6. Your special teams gives you a touchdown. And it's another ugly offensive outing. The Saints scored one touchdown in the first 54 minutes of this football game. So really, you could say the Saints were up 7 to 6 offensively. But the scoop and score, or the blocked punt, excuse me, which, you know, I guess would be a scoop and score, ended up making it 14-6 to 6 for them. And, you know, the defense did tighten up throughout this game. Again, Bryce Young had one of his worst career days ever. But the defense almost got busted on the back end quite a bit in the first quarter. Bryce Young was taking some deep shots to Jonathan Mingo quite a few times. I had Adam Thielen out there a time or two. And it's like those couple of throws could have changed the course of the game. Now, they didn't but you're really getting beat on the back end like that from a 1-11 football team. It's just its a horrible look. It just doesn't make any sense. I hate to be in this state of mind with the New Orleans Saints right now, but one, I didn't even watch the Lions game fully. I didn't even really watch it at all because I expected us to lose 21-0. I was like, oh, look at that. First seven minutes, 21 points. They're going to put up a 50-burger on us. They might put up 80 on us, and then people are going to be talking about the Saints like they were the Broncos. I was really hoping the Lions would put up 50 points on us so we'd have a clear-cut reason to fire Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael because it started off 21-0. I'm just at this point now to where I need the Saints as a team to show Miss Benson and Mr. Loomis why DA and Pete can no longer be here. And we've already got enough of a sample size, and it's already bad enough but I honestly want the Saints to lose more than they win over these last few weeks to get a better pick in this loaded quarterback draft and to have even a bigger sample size so we can let the staff go. Because the Saints clearly think right now, at least Miss Benson and Mr. Loomis, as delusional as Mr. Loomis is, they think that they have the guys in the building to make it happen. And in terms of coaching staff and quarterback, no, they don't. In terms of trenches, no, they don't. And if it's going to need to take more things like this happening, bad performances against bad teams, getting blown out by good teams, if that's what it's going to take, then so be it. Again, I'm not one to sit up here and say, oh, I want the Saints to lose. I want them to tank. But at this point, with the Saints are what they are. We've got four weeks left in the season. They're not going to be anything more special than what they are right now. They're not going to turn anything around right now. They're not. And if we finish at eight and nine, we'll pick about somewhere in the middle of the draft. Hopefully not too far out to lose on a Jaden Daniels or a Michael Penix or a Bo Nix or whatever the case may be. But the Saints have to draft a first-round quarterback. And if that means we got to play rough down the stretch to get a higher pick, then so be it. I'm okay with that because Derek Carr on a $150 million deal with the earliest off-ramp of next year and Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael and unfortunately Mickey Loomis are not going to be the recipe to get us there. Fire DA, fire Pete, maybe move on from Mickey so you can get a whole new front office and staff in there and let them pick your quarterback of the future because we know Derek Carr's not it. I'd love a Jaden Daniels. I'd love a Bo Nix, a Michael Penix. I wouldn't care if the Saints traded up some first-round picks to go get that quarterback. Now, they haven't. I've only done it once in 56 years, but something's got to change. Something's got to happen, and we know that the way it's constructed right now, it's not. Going to work, Mickey Loomis. Of course, is very denusional, and you know this is kind of the next phase of what the Saints are going through. You know, oh, we're we're top ten in red zone trips. We're top twelve in red zone trips. Okay, but what's our red zone conversion percentage, Mickey? Oh, we just put up four hundred and forty four yards the other day. Oh, wasn't that against the Colts, Mickey? What are we doing against good teams? Hell, how are we even playing against bad teams? I understand it's hard when you've been pretty solid for the last fifteen years. You've won a Super Bowl within the last 20 years. Sean Payton really built something beautiful here. He made you look like a genius. He made Pete Carmichael look like a genius. But after Sean Payton's left, it's showing you that a lot of that, if not most or all of that, was Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Mickey Mickey Loomis being delusional is not helping anything. He's going on these radio shows saying that the Saints have got what they need to move forward. No, they don't. And that is very clear. The Saints were three, in, uh, three of four scoring touchdowns in the red zone in this game against the Panthers. Now they're seven of eight over the last two weeks. Only one red zone trip over the last two weeks have they um, not scored. They're now tied for 22nd in the NFL. Excuse me, in red zone scorings, Uh Excuse me, in scoring in the red zone. It's not great, but of course they are improving. Carolina did rush for 204 yards. Saints getting gashed again on the defensive side of the ball in terms of rushing. The Saints have fallen to 27th in the NFL in rushing defense, and two of their final four opponents can really run the football. Atlanta is sixth best in the league, and over the last three games with Kyron Williams back, the Rams are third best in the league in terms of rush yards per game, so the Saints are going to have their work cut out for them. It's unfortunately a big red flag heading into the final four as the Saints do have to play the Falcons, the Giants, the Rams and the Bucks, not in that order, to finish out the year. I do know the Falcons will be the last game. Um, the Rams are coming up on Thursday Night Football, I think next week, if I'm not mistaken, because we got Chargers and Raiders. So we'll, uh, yeah, we got the Giants this this Sunday. So we'll see how it happens. You know, and, and hell, the Giants are hot. I mean, Tommy DeVito's throwing more touchdown passes in November than Derek Carr did, and that's just facts. We're talking about the Tommy DeVito playing better than Derek Carr. And it's just wild. Just wild. Y'all get in the chat, get in the comments. Let me know what you're feeling about episode 57. The Eagles lose to the Cowboys 33 to 13. It's the second straight. Every bit of the difference in this game. Their back end can definitely be had. Their secondary is poor. We've had Sam Howell dice him up twice. Dak Prescott's diced him up now twice. And these turnovers and drop passes in this game were just such a difference maker for Philly. You had Jalen Hurts fumble on the 20-yard line on the first drive. He had A.J. Brown drop a ball at the four-yard line on the second drive of the game. That was huge. That really could have put Philly in position. A.J. Brown then turned around and fumbled on the first drive of the second half. Devontae Smith drops a touchdown in the third quarter. Devontae Smith fumbles in the fourth quarter at the 10-yard line. You you just can't beat anybody in the NFL playing like that. Now, I will give credit to the Eagles. I love the fake punt to set up a potential touchdown drive, but not, uh, you know, of course, there was no dice after the drop by A.J. Brown. It just turned into a field goal. Now, A.J. Brown did have another nice grab up the sideline in this game that ended up in a field goal as well. And, And just simply put, Philadelphia could not finish the job against Dallas in this game. They couldn't. Dallas out coached them. Dallas outplayed them. They pushed them around. Dak Prescott outplayed Jalen Hurts, and and Dallas was just the superior team in this game. And they did not let anything get going for Philadelphia. Two field goals. Two field goals. Shout out to Fletcher Cox and Jalen Carter for coming up with the strip sack on uh, Dak Prescott to give them those seven points. But the offense did not score a touchdown in this game. Secondary was carved up all night by Dak Prescott. Dak made plays left and right two field goals, (laughs) two field goals for these Philadelphia Eagles, man. And like I said, I'm worried. I'm worried. Now they're 10 and three. The secondary is not performing well. They've got a good bit of issues going on with this football team. All three of the turnovers happened in Cowboys territory while they were driving down the field to be able to score the Eagles touchdown. Again, the only one of the game is defensively. The three turnovers were the most for the Eagles in a game since week six. And now the Cowboys are sitting atop the NFC with the San Francisco 49ers. Both of those teams absolutely demolishing the Eagles 42 to 19 in the week before now, 33 to 13 here with the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, the Niners destroyed them. The Cowboys whopped the Eagles, but the Niners have blown out the Cowboys. So by default, common opponents, you're going to put your San Francisco 49ers at the top. But Dak Prescott is playing at a very, very high level right now. 22 touchdowns, two interceptions. Now, given uh, Washington, Carolina, New York Giants and the Rams are four of those seven last games that he's played. But still, his last seven games, 22 touchdowns, two interceptions. Dak has 28 touchdowns and six picks on the year. 69% 69% completion, 3,500 yards, and a 107 passer rating. Again, I know it's the Commanders, the Panthers, the Giants, and the Rams in four of those seven games, but still, Dak Prescott has played his life out in this season. It's the best year he's had as a quarterback. He's in the MVP conversation, rightfully so, and I think Dak Prescott will have a really good chance to win it. Uh, I think Tyreek Hill would have to fumble the bag over last month of the season. I think it's Tyreek Hill's award to take home, but Dak Prescott playing the way that he is, it's it's honestly remarkable. He's making big throws. He's very accurate. He's controlling the offense. And I don't think I've ever seen Dak Prescott play at this type of level in his NFL career. Cowboys put up nearly 400 yards of offense. They went 9 of 16 on third down against the Eagles. If you don't count the kneel downs, Dallas scored Dallas scored on seven of their nine possessions on the night. And, you know, I'll still give credit to the Eagles. They've still went 10-1 and one in back-to-back seasons. They've still won four of their six toughest games down the stretch while having a new offensive and defensive coordinator and having the league's hardest schedule after having the league's toughest schedule last year. I've got them winning three of their last four. They might lose to Seattle, but this secondary is very, very porous, and they've got through that tough stretch of their schedule, and I think the Eagles could be in a good position by the time they step into the playoffs, barring they can fix some of these things that have been hampering them over the last month or so. The 49ers blowing out the Eagles showed the Cowboys exactly how to do it. Get your playmakers in space. The Eagles aren't very great on the edge when it comes to speed plays. We saw some of those end rounds. We saw some of those screen passes. We saw some of those uh, you know run plays that are around the edge that the Eagles just couldn't get around there seal the edge and stop the backer or the, you know, the receiver, the player, from picking up what was originally six or seven yards, turning into 15 to 17 yards. And the Cowboys realized that. Get your ball to your playmakers in space and let them do the rest get their secondary on their heels and just have them kind of reeling all night, which isn't very hard. And you've got the Eagles in a position to actually beat them. When you look at the Eagles right now, the things that are actually hampering them, you know, you look at their five weaknesses on this team right now, turnovers, pass rush and pass protection. So just your trenches overall, if you can't get to the quarterback or protect yours, you're not going to win a lot of football games in this league. Third down defense hasn't been too great lately. And their playmakers just aren't making very many plays. Their stars are not playing like stars. Their great players are not playing great. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith fumbling and dropping passes in this game. Jalen Hurts fumbling and turning the ball over. You have three best players right there, arguably. Of course, we've got a you know DeAndre Swift that gets in the mix as well. They're just not playing well. They're not playing complimentary football. And that is a recipe to not be solid in this league. And it's happening right now as we speak about it on the show. With the Philadelphia Eagles, it's the fifth consecutive game. The Eagles have trailed by double digits at some point, and that just shows you that the Eagles have a lot to clean up. I'm glad that the Eagles are going through this part of the season, though, and really just overall as this kind of era and and, and part of the franchise. Y'all know I'm a big Jalen Hurts fan. Nick Sirianni's done a hell of a job, and, and I think the Eagles are one of the best teams in the NFL. I still do even after two back-to-back blowout losses. Now, yes, does it put them down in the rankings? Yes, does it make you worry about them? Duh. (laughs) Why wouldn't you worry about them when they started 10-1? and Now they're 10-3 and in danger of losing three in a row like the Niners did. But they're going to have to grow through this. Jalen Hurts has an immaculate record in his first 30 starts of the league. Jalen Hurts has played very well since he's been named the main starter of the Philadelphia Eagles. But you got to go through this adversity You have to struggle some. You have to get punched in the mouth a time or two in this league in order to go further and punch others in the mouth in the postseason in this league. The Detroit Lions have been frauds for the past month in the NFL, and as much as I hate to say that because I really like the way the Lions have been playing, they defied the odds in week one. Now, yes, it was without Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey, but the Detroit Lions have been playing like frauds for the past month. They really have. And the Cinderella story, unfortunately, is starting to unravel and come to an end. They almost lost to the Bears a few weeks ago. They lost to the Packers. They almost blew it to the Saints. And then they lost to the Bears badly, 28 to 13, in this most recent game. And, you know, the Lions haven't been right since Baltimore absolutely laid it on them, 38 to 6, back in October. Jared Goff was sacked five times. He had 53 pass attempts, no touchdowns, and an interception. Jared Goff has seven touchdowns, five picks, and has been sacked ten times in his last four games. It's tough. Very, very tough right now for the Detroit Lions. And again, I hate to see a team that has played so well all year just start to unravel really after Thanksgiving. Like, leave it up to the Detroit Lions to Detroit line it up on Thanksgiving and just get their asses handed to them by the Green Bay Packers. The Lions still have to get through some growing pains as well. They have a very young, very talented roster. They have a veteran in uh, uh, Jared Goff. They have a very respectable coach in Dan Campbell that a lot of people around the league really, really like. We just heard the poll about how many coaches would actually want to go play for Dan Campbell because of how he coaches his teams. But the Lions are going to have to get through this as a team. Again, get punched in the mouth so you can punch people in the mouth later on in the fight. It's a marathon, not a sprint in the NFL. But over the last month, the 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 Lions have not been playing like the Lions of late. And the Lions just are kind of returning to that Detroit Lions form that we knew before. And I'm not here to overreact. I'm not here to say they're the same team that they were last year. Because no, they're not. They're better than that. They're just coming across some tough games right now. Yeah, we know the Bears are one of the worst in the league, but they've improved to a 5-8 and eight record. My Saints are bad. We know that the packers are starting to come around so you know maybe that's a justifiable loss but all four of these should have been wins for them no question about it all four of these games should have been wins for the detroit lions and if you want to talk about what's actually been hampering the detroit lions over the last few games they're slumping there's no question about it it wasn't always turning out like this they were 5 and 1 coming off four straight wins of 14 points or more. So, of course, you're not going to say that a bad team does that because they don't. But since then, they've just played very, very sloppy football. You you, you can't even deny that at this point. They're 4-3 and over the last seven games, and and both sides of the football have really started to show you things that are not very great. The first six games of the year, they had six turnovers, one turnover a game. In the last seven games that they're 4-3, and they doubled that. They're having two turnovers a game. Fourteen turnovers in the last two game in the last seven games versus six turnovers in the first six games. The Lions have been very, very turnover turn- prone in the last seven games. In fact, teams that same. And the Browns pressure on the quarterback, great coverage, a punch out from a defender. The Lions have just fallen victim to it all here recently. The main issue has really been pressure, too. Through the first six games, Jared Goff was pressured on 32.4% of his dropbacks. Now in his last seven games, that pressure percentage has went to 37.4%. So I know it's only another 5%, but every bit of pressure you can get on a quarterback, it's going to help your team. If you can get to the quarterback and protect yours, you're going to win a lot of football games in this league. Whether you have great talent or average talent, it starts and ends in the trenches. Jared Goff under pressure his QBR is very, very bad. And it's been like that for a lot of his career. And when you take a look at the numbers, it's very unfortunate. Since the bye week, Jared Goff's QBR under pressure is 0.6%. That's less than one, excuse me, QBR, quarterback rating, not 0.6%, 0.6. That's less than one on a scale of one to 100 It's the worst mark in football by far. He's posted a minus 25.7 completion percentage over expected when he's under pressure over that stretch. He's gone 10 of 36 for 60 yards, and he's taken 10 sacks in that time. So, you know, it is fixable for sure, but at this point, your offensive line is going to be what it is. They're going to need to get Frank Ragnall back soon so they can really start to help out with that. We know the center is a very, very pivotal piece. We got Graham Glasgow as well at right guard. Not we, but they. Uh, Graham Glasgow is a very, you can even say their most efficient offensive lineman maybe out there. It's a very good combination when the two of them are able to be out there. As well, but when you look at the Broncos, Vikings, and Cowboys that are coming up, the Lions have four straight games against team that can pressure the quarterback and force turnovers. The Broncos, first in the NFL and takeaways, 18th and sacks. The Vikings are 13th in takeaways, 14th and sack, 14th and sacks. The Cowboys are seventh in takeaways, eighth and sacks. Now the Lions secondary. First six games, they were allowing 60.8% completion percentage, 5.7 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, six picks, and a 79.6 passer rating. The last seven games. They're allowing 65% completion, 7.9 yards per attempt, double the amount of touchdowns. Now, they have cut the picks in half, thankfully, um, or not not thankfully. They've intercepted the ball less. They've almost doubled up on the touchdowns, and the passer rating is about 20 points higher, 108.3. Since week seven, the Lions ranked 31st in passer rating allowed, 31st in pass defense DVOA, 31st, 31st in drop back EPA, and 29th in success rate. So people are able to throw the ball all over them when they're in coverage, and that is a prime example of why they've been reeling in the last few weeks. And then the third quarter for the Detroit Lions. They've been horrible in the third quarter this year. If you look at their overall point differential by quarter, plus 24 in the first quarter, plus 30 in the second quarter, minus 38. That's a 68-point swing from the second to the third quarter. Minus 38 in the third quarter. Plus 16 in the fourth quarter and minus six in overtime. They do have the edge in each quarter and, you know, by a pretty significant margin, of course, when you look at it on here, but the third quarter is just absolutely horrible for them. And that's the quarter where you come out of halftime, make your adjustments, and try to play as a better football team. LOL at the title choke versus Titans. <laughs> Titans were going to play hard since Frank Wycheck died. Yeah, absolutely, bro. No question about that. RIP Frank Wycheck, one of the main players of the Music City Miracle when it happened at the time. We're about to talk about Titans and Dolphins here in just a second, man. But the Lions playing this bad at this point in the year, I don't know if there's a way to fix it, really. Of course, you know, Frank now can come back. But are they going to be able to fix the third quarter woes? Excuse me. I'm not sure. Are they going to be able to fix the coverage woes? It's usually pretty hard to turn your secondary around in the last quarter of the NFL season in the last four or five games of the year. Can they do it? Yeah, of course they could. Anything is possible, but will they do it is the question. We don't see it happen very often in the NFL. So we see the Cinderella season starting to unravel for the Detroit Lions. Very unfortunate. Their pass protection, their turnovers. Uh, their pass coverage and also their third quarter woes are a big reason why the Detroit Lions are not playing very solid football. Here we go, Wesley. The Titans beat the Dolphins as Miami melts with under three minutes to go, blowing a 14 point lead rolled out is absolutely hilarious. I don't even know if it's true, but I'd like to believe it is. I did the math. It's about 23 years of NFL games, if I'm not mistaken, based on what they said um, here. So again, the Titans beat the Dolphins. Miami melts with under three minutes to go. They blow the 14 point lead coming into the game. The Dolphins were the only team in the NFL without a loss to a team with a losing record the dolphins are the first team in nfl history to lose a game in regulation while winning by 14 points or more with less than 3 minutes to go in the game the previous teams were 17561 and o before monday night with this happening 760 plus teams have lost consecutively with this happening or really you could you know now that i say that it doesn't sound correct 17561 consecutive teams had one being up fourteen month fourteen or more with less than three minutes to go. The Miami Dolphins managed to make that 17,561 and one after this game. So very, very bad. You know that you're not supposed to blow a lead like this in the NFL. The Dolphins have the momentum off the top, too. I mean, pick six off Will Levis in the first quarter. Defensive lineman literally picks it at the five, runs it in. Will Levis looks kind of shaken. It's like, okay, Miami's going to be able to run away with this. We just saw them blow the commanders out of the water, put a 40-burger up on them. Now, the Dolphins did lose Tyreek Hill for a little bit, which is very unfortunate. He's still on pace for the first ever 2,000-yard season with 2,016 yards, technically, if he continues on the pace. That he's at. Now, Tyree did come back in the game and make a couple of big plays, but this offense isn't the same without him in the lineup. And that is very, very apparent. Very apparent that the offense is not the same without him in the lineup. Why is this so small? It's because I made it one. There we go. And I mean that that's going to be a given. If you have the fastest player to ever play the game, a top receiver, the best receiver in the NFL, not in your lineup, one of the best players in the league. It's going to affect your team, no question about it. The first three red zone trips for the Dolphins produced just six points. It was two field goals and then a lost fumble. Uh, The Dolphins even got a muff punt inside the 10 with six minutes to go. And then the next drive, a fumble inside the 15. Both of those turned into touchdowns for the Miami Dolphins. And then they choked it away, just like the Titans did with the last two possessions. The Dolphins turned right back around and said, no, we don't want to win this game. You can have it back. The Dolphins scored 21 points off turnovers and still lost this game. Tennessee blocked a 44-yard field goal in the second quarter and then an unsportsmanlike conduct foul on Bradley Chubb. Turned a fourth down into a first down for the Titans, so a mental error there. We know that penalties can really change the perspective of a game. Derrick Henry found the end zone just a few plays later, and that made it a four-point swing at that point. Miami had seven penalties for 61 yards and the Titans picked up 144 yards on 13 plays on their last couple of drives. Miami was absolutely getting gashed. The defense was so tired from being on the field. They gave up 11.1 yards per play on the last 13 plays that the the Titans ran to pick up those 144 yards and ultimately go and win the football game. And Tua was not good on the last two drives as well. I mean, he's throwing a swing pass seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. Not a good call at all. I'm looking at Mike McDaniel and even Frank Smith. After that one, I know that's more Mike McDaniel than anything because he does call the plays. Now, the Dolphins do have the toughest schedule left with the Jets, Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills. They could definitely go winless in these games. The Dolphins have not a beat a team with a winning record all season long. They could beat the Jets, but if the Jets' defense shows up like it has a couple of times and like they just played against the Texans, the Dolphins aren't going to win that football game. The Cowboys are on fire right now. The Ravens are on fire right now, and the Bills are starting to get hot at the right time of the year. The Bills might not make the playoffs. The Jets aren't going to make the playoffs more than likely. But if Miami goes 0-4 in this last stretch to go 9-8, and That's going to change a lot of things in the AFC playoffs, and I hate to say it, but that's very possible for the Miami Dolphins right now. Toughest schedule in the NFL the last four weeks. Jets, Cowboys, Ravens, Bills. It's about to get real daunting and real scary for Miami right about now. Now, thankfully, Miami doesn't require any outside help to achieve the top seed in the conference to become the one seed in the AFC. If they win each game, that would give them a 13-4 record in the head-to-head tiebreaker over the current Baltimore Ravens, who they play in Week 17. Miami's two-game lead in the division means a Week 18 win over Buffalo would result in the team's first division title since 2008. But Will Levis in this game, man, I mean, you gotta give credit to him. You gotta give him a shout-out. You know, Will Levis... Being the second-round pick, everything we heard from him in the draft, not wanting to be in the war room in the second day, putting mayonnaise in his coffee, not really being that solid of a guy coming out of college, in my opinion, lazy form, didn't like his tape, didn't like his combine, didn't like his pro days, and it just sounds like I'm a Will Levis hater, right? And when the Titans picked him, I was like, you just had Malik Willis, who was a very top prospect in that draft, you know, next to Desmond Ritter and whatnot. Of course, there was Bryce Young as well. Well, never mind. That was, uh, you know, Bryce Young just came in this year. Let me get my years correct. Will Levis is playing pretty solid football at this point for the Tennessee Titans. DeAndre Hopkins is making catches. Jack Henry's taking the, you know, taking the pressure off him, being a great running back. And rightfully so, Mike Vrabel's got this team in a decent position where, yeah, they're not going to push for the playoffs, but they're going to play you tough. They're going to make, they're going to get physical with you. They're going to push you around. You always know that you were in a game with the Titans by the time you're done playing them because that's how Mike Vrabel coaches. And that's been the thing about the Dolphins. If you can push the Dolphins around, which they were in this game, you can beat them. But Will Levis is looking amazing this early in his career. He's comfortable. He's decisive. He runs his offense well. He was only sacked one time, so he had a lot of time to get rid of the football in this one. Uh, 23 of 38, 327 yards, absolute money. But the Titans defense was also very good as well. Miami was 4 of 13 on third down and 2 of 5 in the red zone. Even more impressive, the Titans were ranked 27th in offense and 25th in scoring offense. So 27th in offensive yards per game, 25th in offensive points per game. They drove 75 and 64 yards against an exhausted Miami Dolphins defense who ranked sixth coming into the game. And they scored the two critical touchdown drives to upset the Dolphins and one of the biggest upsets of the year. And now we have to take a look at the Miami Dolphins of, okay, you can't beat good teams. You got three of the last four teams coming up on your schedule are pretty good. They're all going to be in the playoffs outside of the Jets. And, you know, of of course, maybe the Bills as well. I do think the Bills could possibly sneak in. And now you lose to the Tennessee Titans at home in a game that was a gimme. Or at least should have been a gimme. And, And because one player... And Tyreek Hill goes out, it's that drastically different. And I'm not discounting that because I understand how the league works. Like you lose a premier player, you lose a star player that puts up points for you, puts up stats for you. You're going to look different. And they played without Tyreek Hill for large chunks of this game. But knowing how they choked in the final three minutes, I don't know if Tyreek Hill would have made a difference really because that defense was gassed. They were exhausted. They were not going to be able to pull this game out, and now we have a team like the Dolphins losing to the Titans. So it's like, okay, we know you can beat bad teams, but you just lost to a bad team. You blew a lead to a bad team, and now you're about to go pay the Jets, Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills. If the Dolphins are lucky, they'll go two and two in that in those games, and go eleven and six. They could possibly go nine and eight. I don't think they're going to win out. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and have them go in 2-2 two and two and 11-6. and six. But if they go 10-7, and seven, it's going to be a way, way different swing of things for Miami, especially as it gets into, into the postseason for the AFC. But the Titans again beat the Dolphins as Miami just crumbles, blowing the 14-point lead. 17,561 teams had one when they were leading with 14 points or more with under three minutes to go in the fourth quarter and the Miami Dolphins said hold my beer I will be able to make this one historic and we'll go on and lose this game. Last topic of the show, Justin Herbert's out for the year with a fractured right index finger which is on his throwing hand. And the season was over anyways for the Chargers. They were 5 and 7. Now they're 5 and 8 after this game. The offense averaging eight points per game in the last three games. They've scored 10, six and seven points in their last three games. They've lost seven of their last nine. Their only wins on the season are the bears and the jets in the span of the last nine games. And when you look at it, when you look at all of the wins for the chargers, they beat the bears, the jets, the Vikings, the Raiders and the Patriots and the Patriots, they beat six to nothing. That's where the Los Angeles chargers are at at this moment in the season with the Justin Herbert with a loaded defense, with a Kellen Moore. That's what the Chargers are. The season was already over before this even happened to Justin Herbert. And with this happening, it's just a dagger right into it. Levis is looking like a top 10 quarterback. Uh, not necessarily. Megan, what's up? Good to see you. Thank you for hopping into the show. Um, But yeah, I mean, losing seven of your last nine, only beating the Bears and the Jets in that span. The Vikings, Raiders, and Patriots are their only five wins all season, of course, next to the Bears and the Jets. The Chargers are just not a good football team. The Chargers needed to get Justin Herbert an O-line like yesterday. We've been talking about Justin Herbert being able to be protected. We've talked about it with Joe Burrow as well. Now, the team is middle of the pack and sacks given up at 31, and there's about five sacks that they give up per game. <clears throat> So they're giving about they're giving up about five sacks every two games, which is not a recipe for success, especially if you're in the scheme that the Chargers are in and any quarterback that's getting sacked five times every two games is probably not going to be able to win a lot of football games. Now, again, they're about 15 16th in the league with 31 sacks given up on the year in 13 games. Now, you know, all, our Chargers fans really have to look forward to here is hopefully Brandon Staley gets fired in the offseason and someone offensive can come take over, get this team back right, whether it's keeping Kellen Moore, moving on from him, getting an offensive-minded head coach, getting Justin Herbert some healthier weapons, getting him good trench play in terms of the offensive line um, because we don't want to see Justin Herbert waste away in a team like the Chargers. NFL Mike, I love you, man, but y'all got to take better care of your boy. I'm giving the Bengals the same business. They need to protect Joe Burrow. They should have held Joe Burrow out of the season a couple of months back. He came into the season hurt. And like they say, you usually if you limp into the season, you'll limp out of the season. Not the same thing with Justin Herbert, but it's very unfortunate that a top quarterback and a top player, one of the most expensive players in this league, is now going to miss the rest of the year with a fractured right index finger on his throwing hand. He's going to get surgery on it and be out for the remainder of the season. Thank you. Oh, where is it? Appreciate it. Thank you for uh, shouting out the space jam Jersey. Shout out James Cooper, Fisher working a good bit back in the day with each other at Grayson. here. Go check him out over at Palmer's. If you're in Peachtree city, he loaned this to me quite a few years back and uh, just haven't been able to move off of it since. Now the chargers remaining schedule, they've got the Raiders bills, Broncos and chiefs. I think there's a chance that they could win versus the chiefs and the Raiders, just based on how the two teams have been playing lately, but Easton stick will be at the helm. I don't have them beating the Bills. I don't have them beating the Broncos. They're probably not going to beat the Chiefs. And if they lose to the Raiders, I wouldn't be shocked. We could be looking at a 5-12 Los Angeles Chargers team, which is very unfortunate because I had the Chargers win in 13 games coming into this year. Clearly, I was dead wrong on that. <laughs> and it's unfortunate that the Chargers are this bad at this point in the season and that they've lost Justin Herbert because you don't want to see a good team like the Chargers lose their franchise quarterback at any point to injury. But again, the season was already over. Chargers fans just got to hope that Brandon Staley's fired after this year and they move on. They get him an offensive-minded coach. They get him an offensive line because at most, this is going to be a seven-win football team. This is going to be a seven-in-ten football team stepping into the 2024 NFL season, and it couldn't be more disappointing for Chargers fans. That was a uh, excuse me that was episode 57 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate the heck out of everybody jumping in on a Tuesday night a little bit after our usual schedule time again I know I was gone for about a week and a half been ironing out the schedule but I knew we were going to come back with a pack show for you guys We will be back on Friday with episode 58 We've already got another pack show there as well I didn't hit a sponsor break in this one but sometimes I just get to roll and I forget to do it y'all make sure to like and share the stream wherever you may be watching. Please subscribe on YouTube. We're at 722 subs on the way to 800 subscribers. Hit the bell so you never miss a post. Of course, the QR code will give you every bit of social media and podcast content that we put out at the NFL with AJL. Hashtag the NFL with AJL. If you can't find me, you're simply not looking hard enough. We talked Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman. We talked the college football playoff rankings, even though I was a little late on that. We chopped it up, everything near and dear. Week 14 in the NFL, again, got a loaded episode 58 coming up. We're going to have some Christmas segments about playoff contenders and pretenders. As always, I love you, I need you, and I will see you in episode 58.